This is the Made It in Music Podcast, show 114. Welcome to the podcast, where we bring you tools and resources to help you go full time in music and to stay in. The music business is a roller coaster ride, changing faster than any of us can pay attention to. We all need a competitive edge to stay ahead and to stay successful. What's working, what isn't, and what's coming? That's exactly what this show is all about. Back again with Full Circle Music, the Made It in Music podcast. Hi, this is Seth Mosley, host of the Made It in Music podcast. And today we've got one of my favorite, dare I say my favorite, episode of the entire podcast. This is with my songwriting hero, Shane McAnally. Absolutely genius. And this episode was so inspiring on a number of fronts. This is part two of our Song Chasers songwriting series brought to you by the Song Chasers course that's coming out. It is an A to Z look at the commercial songwriting process. We analyze a lot of the problems that up and coming aspiring songwriters face and deal with. And we help to identify and give solutions to solve them. Things like, how do you write a second verse? Things like, how do you not run out of ideas? Things like, how do I find co-writers to collaborate with? And much, much more. So stay tuned for info on that. It is coming out just in a couple short weeks. So email us at support at fullcirclemusic.com for any info that's support at fullcirclemusic.com, and we will shoot you all of the info on that if you're interested in taking our Song Chasers songwriting course. In this episode, Shane breaks down how he got to where he is, where he just celebrated at the time of this recording, 35 country number ones. That is 35 number ones with artists like Kenny Chesney, Keith Urban, Dirks Bentley, and Midland, as well as Casey Musgraves, who's one of my favorite country artists, just to name a few. So this was an absolutely inspiring story. I had no idea of the blood, sweat, and tears that were put into uh, making his career what it is. In fact, you're going to learn how he spent over 14 years grinding it out before he started to see his first success. So for those of you guys who are out there grinding and feel like you're not making a lot of forward progress, Listen to this entire episode. It will blow your mind, and it will re-inspire you to keep doing what you're doing just because you love it. You're also going to learn some great you know, insights into his songwriting process, and you're going to get to hear his uh, mentality on just being yourself and, and, and knowing who you are. It's really important to know who you are as a songwriter so that you can have a set of values that you operate by so that you can really just write from a place of no fear and not trying to impress other people, not trying to be somebody that you're not. So from that perspective, this episode was really, really inspiring. Um, So let's just jump straight into it. This was a great conversation. This one was recorded live at Smack Music, his publishing company, up in Nashville, Tennessee. Here was Shane McAnally at Smack Songs. Here it is. Your publishing company? Yes. Amazing. It's great to be sitting down with you. I'm a huge fan of your work. Thank you. Um, seriously, really am just not saying that because we're on recording, but I love it. Pretty much everything you do, I'm like, that That little bugger just writes a freaking <laughs> amazing song well, ever. So Thank you um, very much. 
I want to talk about that, but let's go all the way back. I want to, I, I want to hear about your journey. What was the first dollar that you made in the music business? Hmm. That's a good question. One I have never been asked, actually. People always ask, where was the first place you sang? The first time I made money, um, I used to, you know, when I was 13, there's a circuit in Texas where I'm from, Texas, Oklahoma, even some in Arkansas, that was a circuit of Opry's um, that a lot of, a lot of people have come through this circuit uh, in this region. Leanne Womack, uh, Steve Holy, myself, Leanne Rimes, Marin Morris, Casey Musgraves, Miranda, Lambert. And, and, and I didn't know all of them at the time. We're all different ages. I did do this around the same time as Leanne Rimes. We did a lot of stuff together. But there was a show called the Johnny High Country Music Review that all of those people I just named played on. And... It was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. It moved around some. But they paid $30 for you to sing on Saturday night. And I remember that was such a big deal. I can remember the way the check looked, wow. you know, with the little uh, plastic window that you could see your name through. So I would say that was the first time I actually got paid to play music. I was singing and, and doing some stuff before that locally in my hometown of Mineral Wells, Texas. Um, I would play this thing called the Crazy Water Festival and uh, just play at any grand opening of any store. But I think the first time I ever got paid was the Johnny High Country Music Review, and I was probably 13. So so 13 years old. I mean, you've, you've been in it for pretty much your, yeah. whole, mm-hmm. your whole life. Yes. Were you singing your own songs? Were you I guess covers, when you think, I'm 43, so this is my 30th anniversary. <laughs> that's, hey, that's that's pretty good, man. <laughs> we should celebrate. No, yeah. It, yeah, so yeah, my whole life. I mean, I was writing songs even before that, yeah. but um, not really knowing what that meant or what to do with it, you sure. know? So it just, it just, it turned into something. What, what was the journey between that and, obviously you can't, it sounded like you moved to Nashville as an artist, I right, did. was that kind of the, the thing that brought you here? Yeah, I um, I first came to Nashville as just a, a tourist when I was in third grade, which would have been, how old are you in third grade? Eight or nine, Yeah, maybe 10. Sounds about right. So I was already obsessed with music. I, I, that's what I asked my parents for, like for a trip. I wanted to come to Nashville and Opryland was here then. And um, the main thing that brought me here was that there was a museum here that was Barbara Mandrell country. And Barbara Mandrell was to me like the greatest thing there ever was. She had a TV show and her and her sisters played all these instruments. And I was just fascinated with them and, and just the entertainment part of it. And so I came on a vacation that was in the third grade, went back to Texas. And then in the next couple of years that followed started to sing anywhere, like I said before, anywhere they'd let me, and uh, eventually came back to Nashville again when I was 19. Uh, After a year at the University of Texas in Austin, I just came up with some fraternity brothers that I was going to go to the Bluebird, Mm. and that was the goal. A movie had come out around that time called uh, Crazy Little Thing Called Love that was about Nashville, and Sandra Bullock was in it. Most people don't know this movie. But um, it was about the process of going to the Bluebird and getting up and playing your songs. And we all had watched that movie and decided we were going to drive up here together and I was going to 
go to the Bluebird, and that's exactly what I did. So were you going to to try to like do open mic or what? Yep, yeah. that's right. I had written some songs and I would play them like at fraternity parties and just for my friends. And so we went up there. We didn't know that not everybody got to play. Uh, so we got there and put my name in a hat and luckily it was drawn. So it was the first time I'd ever played in front of people songs that I had written. Wow. I'd played in bands and done a lot of stuff, but I hadn't sat in front of like an audience and played a, um, an was, original. Was that the... the big break or whatever? Was there yeah, somebody well, in the audience? Yeah, it wasn't or? a break, but it was a break in, I would say, like an opening in my soul saying, this is where you need to be. I was among songwriters in the room. I had never been with people that were doing the same thing as me. And the reaction of those people uh, coming up to me saying, oh, that was a good song. It just, it was like, I, I've got to just be doing this all the time. There was no reason at that point for me to go back to school. And although I did go back to finish out the year, my sights were just set on finishing and getting to Nashville. And I left as soon as that first year of college was over and yeah. moved. So, so take us through, okay, after that year, you moved back to Nashville. What was, what was the path? Like, what did you, well, what did mo- you do? Yeah, well, I, I moved here, um, again, I was 19, I found my grandmother brought me and drove me and my cousin up here. My cousin was just looking for a new life, basically. And he was just coming with me. And so he didn't stay long, but I got a job at a restaurant. Um, I had no plan. Somebody through somebody through somebody knew one person at Curb Publishing. And she was a friend of it was literally through five people. And I would just follow up this call and finally got to go and play some songs for her. And um, it actually, that part of my story happened very fast. Mm. I was offered a publishing deal within six months of being here, Mm. which was at Curb, it was sort of connected to a record deal. I wasn't around much in the writing circles. I didn't know a lot. And uh, I just had a connection with this woman at the at the publishing company and really just set out to, I guess, make a record was my thought, but I was really just so happy to be being paid. And uh, I still had my restaurant job because, you know, the publishing draw wasn't a lot, but I felt like it was, you know, I had made it. I Within six months, I wasn't even 20 years old. I had a record deal, I had a publishing deal. And then what happened was the reality of the music business set in which is what a lot of people miss still is it isn't about getting a publishing deal or a record deal. That is just literally one of so many steps. And uh, mine just happened in an odd order because I still had to learn to write the right kind of songs and really figure out who I was as an artist, which I, I didn't do even in making my record for Curb. Um, it took years before I started to have a, a true voice as a songwriter and an artist that ultimately led to me writing for other people. Years years of you writing for yourself, doing records. What, what was the process between that you get to first deal and then actually being able to go full-time at this? Or was that the moment? That- no, it wasn't. I mean, I think I was really just, I wasn't playing live. I was just writing and trying to finish a record. And that honestly took four years before I had a single, four or five, um, which was an eternity 
Because, you know, every song I wrote, I felt like was the single. I was in the place where every song was the one. So four, four or five years of just, were, were they just getting shot down? Or what, what was the, the creative it, Yeah, process? and it was just, you know, looking back, the reality was it, I just wasn't ready. And, it, and I still wasn't ready, even when the things did come out. But I just think that there's a naivety that comes with something happening so fast. The fact that I got a record deal so fast, it gave me a false sense of... Uh, being good. I mean, I think I thought I knew more than I did. And I had no life experience. I mean, I didn't have anything to write about. And I was just chasing what was on the radio. So ultimately, that deal went away. And I, in being sort of disillusioned after, this was after about seven years uh, I was really disappointed. Nothing had worked. The singles hadn't worked. And I had another developmental deal um, on RCA and that fell through. And so I left Nashville. And it wasn't that I was running from the music business because all I knew how to do was music. But I felt like Nashville didn't get what I was doing. And I was going to blame anybody close. And so I went to LA and uh, I spent another seven plus years doing a similar thing there. Like so a pop thing? Well, meaning similarly spinning my wheels, just writing songs. And yeah, pop, I mean, but everyone there thought I was country. Mm-hmm. But what I was doing there wouldn't have been considered country in Nashville. Sure. It was just that, uh, you know, in LA, I stuck out. I, I talked country. Yeah. My references were all country. And, um, but really that was the, the true finding of a voice, uh, the the metaphorical voice of, sure. you know, telling stories about my life and about my relationships. And, and that was what LA brought. I, I was no longer chasing the radio, nor was I trying to keep up with co-writers or what someone else wanted to say because I didn't know anybody in LA. I didn't have any co-writers. I was writing everything by myself and playing acoustic shows at, you know, the Viper Room, the Cat Club, Hotel Cafe. And I had a pretty good following, but nothing happened. It was one of these really weird things where I would play every few weeks and like 300 people would show up. Wow. And, but it never changed. It's like it started there and it stayed there. And there was just never, that person that walks in and changes your life, you know, that just never happened. And I would have meetings and meet with different people, but there was just never a great deal of excitement. And and like I said, that went on for about seven years. And, uh, and then in a riding trip back to Nashville, I wrote a song with Aaron Enderland called Last Call. And that song instantly was getting attention from labels. Leon Womack recorded it really quick. And I was so at the end of my rope mm. at that point. Because I was like... 12 years in of doing... That was, yeah, that song, I had moved to Nashville in 94. That song was recorded in 2008. So it was 14 14 years. And then I didn't have a number one until 2010. Wow. So yeah, it was just what it took for me. But what happened with Last Call and the Leon Womack cut was really, I was following any sign. Mm. And the fact that she recorded a song of mine was enough to say, I'm going back to Nashville. So that was, <laughs> that just was, cause it was like, the country thing is where I'm meant to be. I, it was, I just needed something. Yeah. I was just following 
the light. Wow. It was like, okay, maybe they want me there now and this is what I'll do. I just wanted to make a living doing music so bad. I was so far past worrying about how I was going to be an artist or, yeah. you know, I was just, where do I fit? Can I do anything in music? Because I had spent all the years that other people get work experience in college. I had been, I had spent doing music. Yeah. So it was like, I've got to find a job in this business. Sure. And at that point, you know, I'm mid thirties and thinking, how will I ever have a family or do anything else sure. yeah. if this doesn't pan out? Yeah. So the Lee, I guess the Leanne Womack cut was, was, would you say that's a turning point? Yeah, absolutely. You just, and was it, a lot of people have, have this impression that you get that cut and then the doors just fling wide open. Well, I think that, I would say for most people, that is not what happens. Mm -hmm. I would say that that is what happened for yeah. me. Mm. And I don't know if it's because it had taken so long before, mm. retroactively, sure. I was being, you know, the universe was Re had rewarding saved up. You. Yeah. you know, that it was a very unusual thing that happened for me after that. Um, because a lot of times you'll see someone get a cut and then, then it takes a minute and then maybe five years later something else happens. It just started to happen so fast. And then within about 18 months of, of Last Call, being on the radio, Kenny Chesney recorded Somewhere With You. Mm. And that felt like the doors just blew off. Yeah, It was at that point, I could never have imagined what was going to happen. You know, that was my first number one in 2010. And we're in 2018, and I think we just celebrated my 35th. Holy cow, man! And so, Dude, congratulations! Thank That's you. I mean, that I, I know the stammering. I, I know how unusual, and and I'm very grateful. Yeah, it it is. It's an unusual story, and I and I appreciate that about yeah. it. Um, but I do remind people when they say, "Well, yeah, I mean, look what happened for you." It there was a lot of years. Um, where nothing was happening. Yeah. Well, that's really, that, that's, it's really encouraging because, you know, what, what we see from the outside and e even, you know, me being in the industry and not really knowing a lot of your story, I'd have never known that. You had the five years here, you had the seven years right. in LA. Most people would give up at your one or two. Well, and it know? also helps that I look, you know, 25. So you got the, <laughs> people are like, how did this happen? Got the jeans, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so awesome. Um, so full-time in it, obviously. Can you talk about nowadays, um, I think it was the beginning of the last year. You teamed up with uh, Jason Owen to launch Monument, relaunch Monument Records, right. With Sony. Mm -hmm. um, what are all the pieces of of what you do now? Because you've got obviously you as a writer, right? Producer is. It, would you still consider that the main thing? I'm always a writer first. Yeah. Uh, that's just the thing that's brought me to the party. I uh, was writing songs before I knew. You know when you when we talked about my history, the truth is I was writing songs at seven, at eight years old. It It is my destiny yeah. to write songs. That was what God made me good for. Yeah. And um, so the other things that have come from that are out of, uh, you know, I am an ambitious person. Sure. And there's only so far and so much that, that writing can do for me when I want to take it and do other things. Yeah. But it always comes back to the heart of, yeah. What I do is songwriting. Um, but as far as all the, the arms of what I do now, what happened was uh, I didn't have a publishing deal when my song started to get recorded. And I had a friend named Robin Palmer who I had known since 
the 90s when I was an artist, she used to pitch me songs. She had worked in the business for a long time. She got a comp of mine when I came back to Nashville. Sure. And she was pitching my songs, but just on a handshake deal. Mm. She was affiliated with a publishing company at the time, but nobody in the building besides her was interested in me as a writer, so I couldn't get a deal there. I would have taken, honestly, anything. Yeah. And this was, this, so this was even after the Leanne? This was after the Leanne, yeah. How did, back up for two seconds, how did that happen? Like, was that- uh, Because my co-writer, Erin Enderlin, had a deal. Okay. She was a writer at Universal Music. Mm. So they were able to get the song to Leanne Womack. And- so Universal pitched it? Yes, exactly. And in the process of all of that is when I reacquainted myself with Robin Palmer, gave her some songs, and she became especially attached to Somewhere With You and said, I just think this song could change everything for you. I, that song actually sounded like a lot of my songs. Mm. And so I think her thought was, if we can get this recorded then there's so many here, you in, know. In that moment, are you kind of like, because people, yeah, tend to latch onto the one thing and you're yeah. like, uh, okay, like what's your, you know. I think I was I was just happy somebody was out there yeah. throwing the song around. And she pitched it 11 times. I mean, literally pitched it every way possible to Kenny Chesney. And can you explain that? <laughs> well, I, I, there's, dive into that. there's label, there's A&R. There's um, producer, Buddy Cannon. There's management, Clint Hyam, who's a dear friend of mine. So she sends it to every single one. And of goes in in different situations. Ultimately, what happened was, this is so bizarre. She had pitched it all these different ways. And it had just never, it wasn't that people were passing on it. It was just that everybody was like, yeah, this is cool. We'll see what he thinks. And that just kind of leaves it in a gray area. And she then had a meeting with Kenny and Buddy Cannon after all of these pitches. And it was a group, uh, these these women that are still pitching songs and getting songs recorded called the Chicks with Hits. Mm. And Robin was a, a member of this group. And they were having a pitch meeting with Kenny and his producer, Buddy Cannon. And they all got to leave on CD in a basket, one song. Mm. Robin's torn because her thought is, do I leave this song that they've heard 10 different ways yeah. or do I leave something else? Yeah. She decided to leave the song again wow. and try again. And that 11th pitch <laughs> was the was the charm. And they put it on hold. They said they were going to cut it. It's There's still so many things that have to happen. Even after, yeah. And eventually, you know, it became the single and that really did. It just felt like, like I said, the doors got blown off. It was like Kenny had anointed me, like with that sound and the phrasing, it was an unusual phrasing that JT Harding and I wrote the song and yeah. it was rapid fire and just something Is that is different. that you? Is that, because I, well, I hear that in a lot of your stuff that the what's phrasing funny is, is so unique. It is, I am, everybody always says that, like the shotgun lyric. It is me, but in Somewhere With You, that was JT's lead. I mean, he's the one who sure. went and did that chorus that way. A lot of times what happens, especially for some reason with him and I, is that you sort of take on the qualities of your co-writer. Yeah, yeah. That's and th so often people will say, oh, I know that line was you in a song. And I'll be like, no, actually, that was, that was Josh Osborne. Because we do sort of take on each other's roles. Because what's happening is you want to impress the other person. So you throw out something you think they would like. Mm. And so 
JT went for that shotgun lyric thing because he knew I loved that. And he just did it in a way that was so unique. I was like, oh my God, did we record that? I just thought it was the greatest thing I'd ever heard. Um, but anyway, that's, that's sort of, I don't even know where we started here. No, 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 that's, that's, that's great. I, I think uh, went off on a rabbit trail about radio and then who, how do you, so let's talk about you in the writing room. That's, okay. what's, what's your process like with that? It, you know, I, I really go Are you on, Do you do tracks? Do you top, top line I don't do tracks. Okay. Um, I am in awe of people that know how to do that. I'm not technical. I'm completely instinctual. Mm. Instead of using a lot of technical terms, I use like crunchy or shiny. <laughs> or That's like a joke among my friends. That, that makes sense though. Yeah. That, At least those words make sense. Descriptive visual words for me. And I don't want to get bored in a song. And that is something that I think I have a strong instinct about in the room is saying, we get to this section and my brain turns off. I don't care. Like, let's let's change it. Fix it. Yeah. And I won't, you know, I think a, one of my gifts is that um, I'm very decisive. And I think that being able to stop in the process and not just use something because we wrote it. Yeah. I, uh, I'm like that as a producer as well. It it doesn't matter to me if we've gone down a road and recorded something. If it doesn't feel right, I don't chalk that up to wasted time. Yeah. It was a hall we had to go down. And so that happens a lot in the writing room where I'm like, that entire verse is wrong and we need to start over there. So how how long does a tip, obviously this is probably all over the spectrum, but how long does a typical write last for These you? days, the typical write is four or five hours. Um, and you're done by the end of it usually with usually, something? Usually, yeah. And that's also depends on who you're writing with. And there, there are exceptions. Uh, Sam Hunt is a big exception to that. We don't write the same way as... We do not write together the same way that other people write. Um, he is a thinker, someone that you can write an entire song and, and know that you're probably going to get a call tomorrow saying this entire section belongs in a different song and I want to rewrite this. Mm. Um, it, you know, Body Like a Back Road, I recently found the original lyric that we had written. It that looks nothing like the song does now. And I would say it took us, I mean, from the time he threw that title out to the time it was really finished because lines changed up to the last night that it was put out. Yeah. It was about nine months. Wow. Um, but that is, that's very unusual. Yeah. You know? And you're not working every day for nine months. It's He's on the road. and Right. Not nine months on that song yeah, every yeah. day. No, we're Just all back doing and different forth things. And, yeah. But it was, we, we got together pretty regularly on it, knowing that's what we were going to be working on. Mm. So I would say actual hours in the room, you know, there were, 10 solid days of working on yeah. that song. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that that would be the exception, not the rule. Absolutely. And and because most of us don't have the uh attention, you know, we lose focus on things. Um and we also I can't, you know, read his mind. Right. And so a lot of times he just has to have something outlined. We it's nice to finish sections and parts of a song and then let him go live with it. Yeah. And just have things in place because his instinct is I know this line isn't right, but it's holding the place of where something's gonna go. So yeah. it's not just humming. Yeah. You know, and uh that and I I think I have a tendency to do that also I do that with other writers. It's just a 
faster process because I'm not always trying to figure out what the artist wants to say. Yeah. A lot of times we're, you know, we're writing for an unknown. Yeah. Like, you know, who, who are we going to pitch this to? I don't know. Let's just get the song right and then see. Yeah. So, so who, who all is on your team now? Obviously you, you know, have your label, you have smack songs. Yeah. Is there another thing that I'm missing or is that? Are so we the have main- smack songs publishing, which we have uh, 15 writers uh, myself included. And from the original team of people that I used to work with, the tribe, it was Brandy Clark, uh, Matthew Ramsey of Old Dominion, Trevor Rosen of Old Dominion, Matt Jenkins, yeah. myself and Josh Osborne. And you were just, you were just people that were collaborating regularly. A lot. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we would take, we did retreats together and we were just all, we really were the like, you know, little engine that could. And we were kind of just, lifting each other up and championing each, each other. And now at Smack Songs, of that original crew, four of us right here at Smack. Mm. Um, Trevor and Matthew from Old Dominion, Josh Osborne, who is currently the biggest songwriter in Nashville. Yeah. He has nine yeah. singles on the chart right now. Wow. And myself. So it's really cool to have that history with those folks. Yeah. In addition to that, we have Smack Management. Mm. Um, we manage... My husband actually manages Walker Hayes okay. with Smack love, Management. Love his stuff, man. And Kylie Morgan, who is a new artist here in town. She's fantastic and 23 and just blows my mind. Mm. And so we have the management side of things, the publishing side of things. We have a production company, which I produce uh, Walker Hayes, Old Dominion, Midland, mm. um, Sam. Mm. And a lot of these are co production ventures. Sure. Casey Musgraves uh, produced her first two records and some other specialty projects. Um, and then I'm currently working on a project with Little Big Town. And so the production side of things has become its own arm because there is a lot more involved in that than just deciding. What it used to be was that I was friends with Casey. We did yeah. demos together. And so we went in with Luke Laird and we ended up making records. Yeah. That's how it started. But ultimately, when you're juggling that many artists, um, and there's a lot of new artists that I didn't list, when, when you're trying on to the produce side that you guys the, have, production side, the production side. Um, and in Smack in general, I, I call it more of a developmental uh, you know, company. <laughs> Mental, for sure. sure. <laughs> Being that I love the process of finding it with artists. Yeah. And so a lot of times we're interim managers where folks that don't have management, we work with them until it's time for them to go and, and do that next step. Some things end up at Monument Records, which I'm an owner in, but we don't have room for everything that I'm doing. Um, and there's also so many artists in different, you know, we our Monument is not just country. Sure. So there are some pop acts and things like that. So... With Monument, with the management side, with the production side, I've, I've written a musical uh, that wow. is uh, the theatrical side of Smack, I guess. That um, have, I've been working on it with Brandy Clark for about five years. That's awesome. I had no idea. Yeah, and it actually had its um, its like debut in Dallas. Uh, it's something that they do out of town runs, sort of reworking. Yeah, yeah. It's with um, Fox Theatrics in mm. New York and. We have an amazing Broadway team that has done every show you can imagine. And so that's something else that is really intriguing and really fun. And it's actually loosely based on the old Hee Haw show. Oh, very um, cool. Gaylord yeah. brought the idea to us about 
revamping that brand. And so, you know, musicals actually take a really long time. That's that's something that's very different in our world is that every time we would do something, it would take like two years, two years to get a reading together, two more years to get it up in Dallas. Now we're in the next phase, which is figuring out how it translates to Broadway. So we're five years in and nobody in the in New York seems that concerned that we're five years in. Everybody's like, oh yeah, you're about halfway it's there. about normal. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, there's, you know, so um, how, how do you focus? Like, what's your in, in all of that? I mean, the the danger is when you when you get thirty five number ones and all the success, you have all this opportunity, right? How do you filter that? Like, I don't. How do you make I, decisions? That's actually the that's the process I'm in now is figuring out what I'm the most drawn to. That I have a really hard time saying no to things. Yeah. I don't want to miss something. Yeah. Uh, I've I've met so many artists through the years that. I'm so drawn to, and I love writing with artists that have a story, that have a point of view. That's why I was drawn to Casey. That's why Sam and I hit it off. They have a lane. And, um, you know, but I can't do it all. And that is really hard for me to to take because I have had to say no to some things that have been painful. Yeah. So do you have a filter now, or is it kind of just your— You know, I use—I have to say I rely on a lot of people around me to— Say what the what's the long term going to look like with this? Yeah, yeah. If I get involved with this, what does it look like? Yeah, it's fun right now, and to make a commitment to someone and go, sure, I'll produce your record, and yeah. I have to rely on other people around me saying the reality of this is this is when it would fall, and this is what you have going on, yeah. and it won't work. Yeah. So it's more about now creating a team of people around me that I really trust. Yeah. And I have that. And it's amazing that that I have been able to delegate a lot of that. So what so that I can focus on just creative thinking. Yeah. Cause I'm terrible at the organize the organization part of it. I'm I want to say yes to everything and I'm yeah, completely yeah, yeah. scattered. Totally. Well, um, let's jump through our last, we call them a full circle five. So okay. we'll just blaze through those. First one, what is your favorite book? or record that you most commonly recommend to people? A book is uh, Steve Martin's book about his stand-up career. It's called Born Standing Up. And I don't know why it, I I read it years ago, but I have definitely recommended that book to more people than, it comes up all the time, especially talking to artists, because he he did not want to be famous, Mm. but he was especially talented in the comedy world and he knew he had a premonition of success of celebrity is what he says and he always knew he was going to be famous but it's interesting to me that he truly didn't want that Hmm. he just knew it was part of what would come with what he did and just the way he handled it and I'm also fascinated with the fact that he if you've ever talked to anyone who's ever met Steve Martin and I have not met him nor do I intend to because he says that he doesn't like to be approached because he doesn't know how to fake intimacy. He's not good at small talk. And he said he always disappoints people. And I just found that really honest and interesting. And anyone who had read that book would know if they saw him in an airport, not to go up to him. Wow. You know what I mean? You're just going to be led It's just a cool book though. It's just about, you know, the other thing, sorry to keep talking about this. This is another thing I've told artists forever is like when people are doing jobs that they think, 
um, are no good. Like, why am I working at Starbucks? Or why am I, you know, and I'm supposed to be doing music. I did all of those jobs and felt the same way. And Steve Martin did too. And he talks about how every single job he ever had, like he used to work in this magic shop. Yeah. And he later used magic in his show. Mm. And the only reason he ended up with those skills was because of that magic shop job. And I just found it fascinating. He said that everything came back in his work Mm. from writing movies to writing stories. He was able to use all those characters from those jobs that he thought were useless. And I feel the same way now. I mean, so many characters that show up in my songs and in my writing are from people that I met in situations that I thought I was wasting my time. That's amazing. Uh, Second question. Failure can turn into an asset if it changes your perspective on something or changes your Mm -hmm. behavior. So in that sense, can you pinpoint a favorite failure moment? I've had so many. (laughs) What's your favorite? Um, (laughs) Kind of a strange question. You know, I think the whole artist, the aspiration to be an artist when I moved to Nashville and getting a record deal and just... It's just not working. Like I, I always say I had a script for everyone in Nashville. When I got here, they did not read from it. And I'm so glad I had that experience. And I, when I used to hear people say things like this, like I'm so glad I didn't make it as, as an artist. Now experiencing what I learned during that time, when I, especially my work with artists, I can say there is not a situation that you've been put in that I haven't been put in. And it didn't work for me. And I know what it feels like. And that, that's my favorite failure. It's a long series of failures, but it really is the artist part of it because I work with so many people who think that every day is the end all. And if we go into a label and pitch something and it doesn't work, it really hurts. And I just remind them that it all worked for me, that part of it, getting a deal, but the other side didn't. So that doesn't guarantee anything. Yeah. You, you got to find the right team and it's got to be the right time. So that's, I guess that's, that's the best failure. Yeah, it's good. Good answer. Um, before you kind of dove fully in, so mentally rewinding a little bit before the full-time thing, was there a one thing that you could pinpoint that maybe held you back from jumping in? Or were you always just kind of oh, all in on it? Absolutely. It was being gay. I mean, I was closeted. I lived here, you know, in my 20s, um, I was so afraid of anyone finding out I was gay that it completely hindered the way I wrote. Mm-hmm. It, uh, you know, when you're not being honest as who you are as a person, it's going to translate. Mm-hmm. I think the number one thing people see is in inauthenticity. I mean, yeah. that is why artists do not work because something is not reading as the truth. Mm-hmm. And so that, really held me back in every aspect. And when I came out, everything changed because I came back to Nashville in 2008, having lived in LA and lived an out life, coming to Nashville and not sitting in a writing room and changing pronouns Mm. or being afraid that someone was going to ask me. I just came in with that. Like I didn't say, hello, I'm gay. I just made sure pretty quick that people knew because it made my writing more honest. So... So there, there was never like an official whatever album. It was like it happened when you moved to LA, and then you just kind of brought it with you when you came yeah, back. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And I had been, you know, I met my now husband right around the time I moved back to Nashville, mm. and he was someone who just had had never lived closeted, and he lived in Atlanta at the time, and he was somebody that really showed me 
that whether it be family, whether it be friends, whether it just be a job that seems unrelated to being gay, that just that secret or just keeping that from people, you weren't being your authentic self. And he was really the one who kind of just, when I came back to Nashville, was like, this is an opportunity for you. Not that people didn't know, sure, but it's it's like keeping it a secret or, or just the omission of eventually is going to catch up with you. And so, yeah, that's... That's sort of how it all happened. So, and, and I guess for a lot of people too, not even maybe being from Nashville or being in this industry, like that obviously was probably, yeah, I, I can see why that, well, that was really difficult. Well, I lived through in Nashville what happened with Ty Herndon. Yeah. I had a deal around the same time as him. I was, he was having hits. Yeah, yeah. And I was trying to. Yeah. And seeing what happened to his career as a result of him being gay, that was a different time. Mm. But, you know, that scares you. It pushed everybody further in the closet. Yeah. I shouldn't say everybody. I do not think there's a bunch of closeted artists sure. and that's not what I mean. Sure. But anybody who might've been, not even just an artist, yeah. somebody who might've been on the other side of it, the business side, thinking if that's what they do to artists because they're gay, um, then I, don't, I guess I'm going to have to be in the closet, you yeah. know? So coming back in 2008 was a big difference from 98. Yeah. Even that 10 years made a big difference. Yeah. So honesty and authenticity. Yeah. And at the end of the day, it's always just right at some point you make a decision to say, I don't really care if somebody thinks this or that. You no, know? but you know, and the truth is it was only me who cared. That's what I found. Yeah. I've never been discriminated against. I'm not saying that no one has. I know a lot of people sure. have, but since I moved back in 2008, I feel like it's been the opposite. I feel like I've just been so embraced. My family, we have children, everybody just champions us and supports us and, and you know, gives us the old nudge like, I can't believe two guys are raising these children. <laughs> That's, you know, it's so it's actually been a, just a great, a great experience. And it was all when I changed, Yeah, you know. That's so good, man. So what is something that's working for you right now? Hmm. I mean, I definitely would think what comes to mind that's not working is, is my schedule. I am overwhelmed. There are a lot of individual things that are really working well. You know, whether it be artist careers that Old Dominion, I worked with them for a long time and they are just hitting a stride like no other. It just feels like every song, everything is just falling right in place when they hit that moment. And as an extension, I feel like that's really working for me. But but the thing that really overall that works for me the most is family. Uh, that's where I feel the most connected. My kids are five, I have five-year-old twins. Mm. And uh, that was clearly meant for me to to spend some time and focus on because that's the place where I feel the most uh at home. Yeah. You know, I know that sound yeah, yeah, like yeah. I'm at home, but it's yeah. also the place where I feel the most at home. Yeah. Um, so I don't, yeah, I don't really know how to answer that unless I got real specific about, you know, songwriting is really working. Sure. And there's a lot, I have a lot of hits right now and that's, you know, wonderful. But the thing that feels the most, like where I'm in my body, where I'm sitting there going, this is where I'm supposed to be, is when I'm with them. Mm, it's good. It's a good answer. I can totally relate to that. I have two little, little girls myself. You do? It's nothing better. No. And it, it it's just seems like it's just going to add chaos. And it does. Yeah. But there's something else that it just did that it grounds you and yeah. gives you a real sense of purpose. Yeah. So last of the Full Circle Five, if you woke up tomorrow morning, hypothetically, and all of this stuff 
whatever, this empire just kind of mm-hmm. collapsed and you had to start from square one, but you still have all the knowledge. You've got the experience, you've got the relationships. You had to start from square one doing absolutely anything. Where would you start? It would be write a song. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is the thing that fixes me most days. And I don't get to write every day now, but I still most weeks write three songs. Yeah. Um, and no matter what my mood is, no matter what, I feel like the world is ending with something in that bubble. It's like meditative for me. It's therapeutic. It is, it fixes me. Mm. And that is what I would do. I would write a song because it is ultimately the thing I know how to do best and it's the most natural to me. So I would write a song about what happened, I guess. Mm. That's so good. So is there anything that you're working on right now that you're particularly excited about, you love to talk about? You know, there's so many great, Things I, that at Monument we have signed a, a kid named Brandon Ratcliffe who is up next, um, and he is just fantastic. He's mm. I, he's a prolific songwriter, incredible entertainer. He's Justin Timberlake and John Mayer, and the somehow in a country voice. I'm just blown away. He's 23. I don't know how people at that age know themselves the way these kids do. Mm. I keep looking for the fake. Like, <laughs> how do you know this? How can you feel that already? I just think that people have grown up in a different way. They've, because of social media, because we've given, we've we've kind of put this adult presence on kids where they just learn faster. I just felt like at 23, I was still so green. I didn't know anything about anything. I mean, I I was still with girls. I didn't even know there was a whole world of like, you know, I don't believe being gay is a choice. That's not what I'm saying. But the option of that seems so far from possibility that I just closed that off. And so I just think that these kids have just had it good and bad. Yeah. They've been given a lot of information. Yeah. So their life experience is far beyond their years. Mm. But Brandon is just an incredible talent. There, I could list you so many, but I'm especially excited about him right now. It's awesome. I'll have to check him out. So uh, how can people interact with you? Obviously, socials, all of that yeah, stuff. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> I, guess, I guess that, yeah, socials. I mean, I'm, I'm a... I'm, pretty into Instagramming mostly because of my kids. That's yeah, yeah. given me a great, I definitely great you outlet for that. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. So, uh, man, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. I know you're a busy man running many, many things. Thank you for it's having an honor. Me. So I you. really appreciate it. Hi, this is Seth Mosley. You've been listening to the Made It and Music podcast brought to you by the Full Circle Music Company with editing help from Jordan Salamone. Go over to the show notes page for this episode at madeitinmusic.com slash 114 for links and a write-up and all the resources in case you felt like you missed anything. And head over to iTunes. Leave us a good rating and a review. Hit the subscribe button. Share it with a friend who may be inspired by this story. That's often the best gift that you can send to somebody who, whether you're a songwriter or not, you can share stories just like this one with them. So go ahead Hit the share button if you're on social media and stay tuned for the next episode. We're actually going to be doing a special, normally our uh, podcasts come out once every other week, but we are doing a special next week. It's going to come out October 1st, this next Monday, and it's going to be with our very own artist from Full Circle Music, Madeline McDonald. She is an upcoming rising star in the country music world, and you're going to be able to be in on the ground level of 
her releasing her first official music, making her music video, and everything that it takes. So it's really fun to hear from veterans like Shane, but I also wanted to make sure that we are addressing people at the very front end of their career too, because I think that's going to relate to where a lot of you guys are at. So stick around. That's next week with Madeline McDonald, and that is going to be special episode 115. Again, the Song Chaser series on the Made It Music podcast is brought to you by the Song Chasers songwriting course, A to Z in commercial songwriting. You're really going to want to check this out. This is an all-encompassing set of resources. If you're a songwriter out there trying to make it in the business, this is the one for you to check out. For info on that, email support at fullcirclemusic.com. Again, that's support at fullcirclemusic.com. And we will see you on the next episode.